Let me ask you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. We continue in our series, The Empowered Church. Empowered, of course, by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the way the church, if it is truly the church, will always be. Sometime in the second century, an unnamed Christian writer wrote a description of the Christian faith that he addressed to uh, a Roman official by the name of uh, Diogenetus. Uh, now, I've read a, a sentence or two from that from time to time. Apparently, uh, Diogenetus was uh, uh, curious about these Christians. He couldn't quite figure them out, and, and so this uh, wonderful letter was written that described them, and the description uh, talked about how, you know, up until that point, basically, you were a Jew or a Gentile, and if you were a Jew, you looked at the Gentiles as being the pagans, and if you were a Gentile, you looked at the Jews as something other. And this writer says, you know what, these people are so different, and he was speaking in a positive sense, they're so different that they are really not a part of either one of those races. They are a third kind of people, a third race if you will. I don't know if there's been a better description outside of Scripture of, uh, of what a Christian is and how different from the world around they ought to be than was written then. Today in our passage, I, I want us to look at how God was building this third race of people. Now, in one sense, that's what the whole Scripture is, and in another sense, that's certainly what the, the book of Acts is, but we see uh, two angles on how he was building uh, these people in this passage before us. So, uh, let's give our attention and see how he developed it in Acts 11, beginning with verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, you remember, Stephen was killed, Stephen was martyred, and so a lot of people at that point ran, basically. We got to get out of here or we will be next. Traveled, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. The Hellenists would be the, the Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted 
them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together. Lord, will you show us in this passage today, show us how you developed, how you called, how you prepared, how you created that third race. And Lord, help us to remember if we're in Christ, that's us. And so will you open our, our hearts and our minds to your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now what, what we're going to see is God's work in, in developing this race of people and we're going to see it on, on two levels, the big picture and then the specific. First of all, we see him uh, really working in the big picture, uh, in his providence, in his working all things according to his plan. And you know what? Too often we forget that, don't we? We forget that when we see things out there, things in our world that aren't going the way we think they ought to go, we think things are spinning out of control. And we've got to remember that we may not understand how all this fits together, but God's still on the throne. The Lord God omnipotent reigns. And so whatever takes place is taking place according to his plan. Now, I could see where some of the Christians in that day, they see the martyrdom of Stephen. A leader in the church is killed. He's stoned to death. And I could imagine that some of them said, where, where is God in all this? I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. And they fled for their lives or to protect their family, and they spread out. Now, we might say, well, boy, from a human perspective, I, that's going to be the end of the church in Jerusalem. 
that'll be it. And I'm sure some who were opposing the church thought, yeah, that's it. It worked. And so Satan attacks the church, and there is persecution. But what happens? They spread out. Boom. And as they spread out, those who had Christ in them were taking Christ wherever they went. Verse 19, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. By the way, I, I, I wonder if it hadn't been for the persecution whether the church would still be in Jerusalem. <laughs> you ever wondered about that? They were happy. They were growing. They loved one another. They were taking care of one another. Why would we ever leave this? And yet, they were called to leave that. Now, it says that some of the people that spread out kept silent. Now, those who uh, were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, uh, speaking the word to no one except Jews. They might have felt like that was safer, perhaps. Remember Jesus' last words to them as recorded in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. They were good with that but also in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, here's what it was saying to them and saying to us as well. You are my witnesses. It's not that you need to be my witnesses. You are my witnesses. Now, you're either good witnesses or bad witnesses, but you're witnesses as you go. And that's what we see here. There were some that went, and maybe understandably from our perspective, maybe they were afraid for their lives. But some of them basically were silent in terms of spreading the good news beyond just the Jews. We really can't be faithful witnesses, and be undercover for the Lord. If that's your plan, you need a better plan because it doesn't fit with what he's called us to do. Now contrast that, how some didn't speak to anyone, and then there were some that were obeying their calling. Look at verse 20. There were, but there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Evidently, somewhere along the way, or maybe all along the way, they said, you know what? We may not be in Jerusalem, but really, this is our calling. We're supposed to be going, and as we go, we are to be witnesses. And they didn't stop with just telling the Jews, they went to the, the Greeks, the Hellenists, the Gentiles. 
They understood that this gospel was their only hope as well. Look at verse 21, how God uh, is using the willingness of people to expand his kingdom. Here's the results. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Only Luke in the New Testament uses that phrase, the hand of the Lord. Sounds like it should be a common phrase, and it was in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, it's, it's only in his writings where he talks about uh, the hand of the Lord. But here's what we see, amazingly, in, in my view. The, the plan from God all along was not for him to directly advance his kingdom miraculously. He could have done that. He didn't need people. But amazingly, he said, here's my plan. I'm going to use you. You will be my witnesses. And if my kingdom is to expand, it will be using you. Now, how intimidating that could be if it depended upon ourselves. Because we could say, well, God, I know you're infinitely wise, but you chose a weak vessel here. God, surely you know what my life has been like. How can I be a witness for you? And yet, He says, that's precisely how I'm going to do it. I'm going to use you. And that does not diminish God. It increases him. It shows his great power and his great plan that he could use flawed people like us to advance his kingdom. And that's what happened. A great number Turn to the Lord. Remember that old song, From a Distance? (laughs) Well, God was working from a distance, but he was working up close. And that's what we see is that it's not just this this big, huge plan out there that that he's uh, he's moving the pieces on the game board, but he's not really involved with people. Instead, we see that he is also, at the same time, in building that third race, he is working in the lives of individuals. Let's look at one of the individuals that's spoken of here, and that's Barnabas, verse 22. The report of this, and that is the this is that uh, great number who believe turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. They looked around and said, who are we going to send? Let's send Barnabas. So let's take a look at the kind of disciple he was. Why would they send him? Why would they they choose him? What what was it uh, about Barnabas? And and we do see a description of him. And this is what I, I want you to see as a description of the kind of people that God was building. For one thing, 
Barnabas took joy in seeing God work. Look at verse 23. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. You see how it's described there? It doesn't say when, when he came and saw the obedience of the people or when he saw that the church was growing. It says when he saw the, the grace of God. And so Barnabas had the kind of eyes that saw the work of God in every good thing. And he was right. That, that's an accurate way to look at things. You know, here in the U.S., we live in a day of churches that are built on uh, great personalities, of, of amazing communicators that look good on TV, that uh, have good speaking voices, that are winsome, uh, and in some cases building great churches uh, with their great facilities and those kinds of things. Look, what should the focus be? It must be upon the grace of God. That's where our joy must always be. It's got to be, even when we see a, a bunch of people join the church, it needs to be, well, thank God for the grace of God for the work that he has done in those people and in us by bringing them to us. Not just say, okay, we got, we got 30 new members. We're getting a little bit bigger. So our focus should always be upon what God is doing. Barnabas was an encourager. Verse 23, it says, He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Now, back when we were in Acts chapter 4, this is what it says about Barnabas. It says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Can you imagine being such an encourager that, uh, you know, the officers of the church and everybody in the church started calling you by that name. Oh, yeah, he's the son of encouragement because you're so characterized by that. Now, here's the other way to look at that. What would your nickname be? <laughs> I won't even tell you the ones I thought for myself. If people characterized you and began to call you by how you act, what would your nickname be? Well, may it be the son of encouragement. May it be the patient one, the loving one, the accepting one, the forgiving one. Any of the fruit of the Spirit, may, may we be characterized by those as disciples of the Lord Jesus. Verse 24 says, for he was a good man. You don't see that much in the Scripture, do you, <laughs> that phrase? He was a good man, 
And here's why. He, he was a good man. Full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Good, full of the Spirit, and full of faith. And then it says, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Look what else we see here. And, and I won't read you the verses 23 through 26, but basically that's where um, the church who knew Barnabas, that he'd be a good one to go find Paul. Remember, we don't see Saul up to this point after his conversion. Go, go find him. And by the way, the phrase in there in the original language about going to find him is like when uh, uh, Mary and Joseph were searching for Jesus. You know, it's that frantic looking everywhere. That's what he had to do just to find Saul in this. But uh, they sent him to, to go and do that. And what we see is Barnabas is using the gifts that he had in the best way. And he was about to, he was about to step aside. You know, here he is chosen as a leader, but he went and got Saul knowing full well that this one would, would become the leader and that would mean Barnabas would no longer. His humility comes out there. We see Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Evidently, Barnabas had a good sense of his own area of, of giftedness. Now, let's bring it back to us here. If you're in Christ... God has gifted you, and it's our calling to use our gifts. You might say, well, I don't know what gifts I have or gift I have. Well, we can help you work toward that. A lot of times, the very simplest way is just, what is it I want to do? What's my passion? Usually, whatever your passion is, there's an area of giftedness that God has given to you. You know, we, we take in these members today. And part of what's exciting as I see that is that they've, they've all got different kinds of gifts. And so God is giving us as a church the gift of all these, these new members who will bring to us something that we need. It's not just that they need to be a part of the church. We need them, and we need everyone else in this room as well. It's when everyone is using their gifts is when the church begins to be blessed. You know what? I and we didn't we didn't Mark and I didn't set this particular thing up, but uh, uh, as we were singing today, and and I, I loved the choir idea, and it was beautiful. Every every part of that was beautiful. But you could hear, okay, you have the ladies sing, and that was beautiful. You have the men kind of grunting it out, and that was that was fine. And, and then you had the choir, you know, with their wonderful voices. But you know what? In, in my view, what sounded the best? It was when all of us were singing together and the orchestra and, you know, everybody was in there 
all at once doing the same thing. What a beautiful picture of the church, isn't it? We can appreciate the gifts of all the others, not envy. I didn't have any desire to sing like the ladies, you know. And we can appreciate all that and enjoy that. But the, but the beautiful, the, the, the greatest blessing is when everyone's using their gifts together. And that's really what we begin to see here, the result of God's work. Verse 24, many were added, a great many people were added to the Lord. When God's children use their gifts and he chose to bless, his kingdom moves forward. Now, look, notice the phrase, they were added to the Lord. doesn't just say they were added to the church. They were added, we always want to make this clear. You're added to the Lord and then added to the church, not the other way around. It's not like church member is salvation. And that's, that's what was taking place here. And then verse 26. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. It's a, a new word, a new name, a third race of people. And then we see many are discipled uh, for a whole year. Verse 26, for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. See, they didn't just kind of get the profession of faith and notch their belt and say, okay, we got another profession, we got another member here. They poured themselves into these people for a whole year. They were discipling them, teaching them the truths of the word, how the gospel applies to their life, and that's where the, the blessing comes. In our vision 2017, our mission is to help people joyfully know Jesus Christ, love him more, and serve him better. But then here's what we say beyond that about our teaching. Our teaching will provide continuing opportunity for the people of St. Andrews to grow and mature in their understanding of God's word and its application in our lives. Our desire is for every member to be a learner. This will lead into ever-deepening discipleship. Zeal without knowledge is useless, but so is knowledge without application. The more we know him, the more we should love him. And here's another benefit, and that is that the world began to feel the impact of the Word of God and of Christianity. See what happened? There's a prophecy of a famine coming. And then verse 29 says, So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Don't ever, don't ever let anyone rewrite history in your presence to say that the world would be better off without Christianity. What if Jesus had never been born? I have a book with that title. And it documents all of the things that, that the very fact that Christianity is here in the world 
has changed everything from schooling to hospitals to uh, um, um, uh, physical things. And, uh, and one of the areas, one of the areas that is obvious, here what we see is there's a famine coming. And who's there? The Christians. It's the Christians who sacrificed for those that were going to be hit by the famine. And you know what? They've been doing it ever since. When a tsunami hits on the other part of the world on Christmas Day, the ones who went first and the ones who stayed longest were there in the name of Christ. When there's an earthquake in Haiti, when there is a Hurricane Katrina and on and on, Christ followers were some of the first there, and often they're the very last ones, and sometimes they're permanently there. We still have people going to Japan in the name of Christ. Others come and make their appearances get their photo ops, and leave. Those in the name of Christ remain, not for the glory of it, not for the photo ops, but because of Christ in them. Now, that's one thing for me to say that or other Christians to say that. Listen to this statement from uh, an interview with an Orthodox Jewish rabbi. His name's Daniel Lapin. He said, I want to tell you something else that I, as an Orthodox rabbi, am enormously struck by. And that is that when one travels around the world, every single time there is a calamity, every time there is a natural disaster, who is on the spot? Numerous American, religious, Christian-driven charities bringing relief. That's where it is coming from. That's not for us to take pride in. It's just a part of being a light shining in this dark world. It's an opportunity to show Christ. I told you about the letter to Diogenetus earlier. For you who are Christ followers, and I know not everyone in this room is, that's okay. We're glad you're here. But I want you to hear what the calling is of Christians and what our identity is. Because that letter describes you, you who are Christ followers in this way. Christians are not distinct from other people by nationality, language, or customs. They do not inhabit separate cities of their own or speak a strange dialect or follow some strange way of life. Their teaching is not based on ideas inspired by their own curiosity. Unlike other people, they champion no purely human doctrine. In their dress, food, and general manner of life, they follow the customs of whatever city they happen to live in, whether in Greek or foreign. Yet there's something extraordinary about their lives. They live in their own countries as if they were only passing through. They play their full role as citizens but suffer hardships as if they were aliens. Any country can be their homeland, but for them a homeland, whatever it may be, is like a foreign country. 
Like other people, they marry and have children, but they do not cast them out. This was written in a day where if they didn't like the sex of a child or the looks of a child, they'd take them down to the river and leave them. They share their meals but do not share their wives. They live in the flesh, but they are not governed by the desires of the flesh. They pass their days upon earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They are obedient to the laws, yet they live on a level that transcends the law. Christians love all men, but all men persecute them. They live in poverty, but enrich many. They suffer dishonor, but that is their glory. A blessing is their answer to abuse. Deference, their response to insult. In return for all the good they do, they are punished like criminals. Even then they rejoice as if they had received the gift of life. To speak in general terms, we may say that the Christian is to the world what the soul is to the body. If you are in Christ, you are a member of the third race. That is your calling. And it is a high calling to let our light shine before others so that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Let's bow together. Lord, In our honest moments, we would simply have to say we're just not up to that. We can't live up to that except by your grace and by your strength. That is a description not of our own way we are, but it's a description of Christ in us. And so, Lord, will you let Christ in us shine to those around us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.